1: This Ben Jarofsky Show, Benny J. Bonus Interview is brought to you in part by the International Association of Machinists and Aerospace Workers, Local 126 and District 8, the International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local 9, the International Union of Operating Engineers, Local 150, and the Chicago Federation of Labor. Benny J., take it away. Bonus time in the Ben Jarofsky Show. It is, as I speak, whoops, a picture just fell in my newspaper, Thursday, April 16th, 2020, that is the brown line going by, yes indeed, we're doing a show from the attic, that's where we are doing the show for the last month, staying at home like the governor uh, told us to do. Uh, My guest today, as I always do, I'm going to ask my guest to introduce yourself, my distinguished guest, introduce yourself.
0: My name is Pam Gronemeyer, and I'm a physician in the metro east area of St. Louis. I'm located in, I have an office in Highland, Illinois. I'm a pathologist, and I have a free PMA laboratory. We service seven um, critical access hospitals and two GI labs and multiple other doctor's offices. We provide the pathology and cytology services in the laboratory direction.
1: And uh, Dr. Pamela, as I call her, uh, was on our show. <laughs> oh my goodness, time is just leaving me, uh, Pamela. I can't keep track of it anymore. I think it was two months ago. I want to say it was a different existence. It was before the pandemic, and you can't. Came... Right, it was so <laughs> when was it? Was it January? Doesn't really matter. But it was. Oh,
0: I, I think it was in September. I think, but I, I'm not for sure. But well, it was. It was. It was a, it was a while ago. <laughs>
1: It was a while ago. and It was
0: before, all, everything, before everything broke down.
1: <laughs> yeah. And the reason I reached out to her is that um, she was a supporter of Bernie Sanders. And she was a su- big supporter, big believer in Medicare for All, the concept of Medicare for All. And I thought it was really important that people hear from a doctor to talk about the need for Medicare for All and the need to deal with. The fact that health care, healthcare, a basic right, is unaffordable to so many people in our country. One of the as Bernie likes to point out, one of the richest country in the world. So uh, Pamela was so gracious as to come on the show and give her views and thoughts on um, Medicare for All and why it's needed and and how the health care system impacts people in her neck of the woods, which is the 618, uh, our producer, Dennis. We talk about it all the time because Dennis is from Alton, not far from where Pamela has her practice. And then I just thought, Pamela, it would be a good idea to bring you back now with the pandemic. Um, I've had several doctors in the Chicago area on to talk about uh, the impact of the pandemic in Chicago and why talk. We, we've talked about the disparity between the uh, death rates among black residents of Chicago and white residents of Chicago. We've had that discussion as well. And as you can probably guess, most of the doctors that come on my show, I think all of them are of the liberal or left persuasion. And so some of them have talked about Medicare for all, but I think what we'll do is we'll, um, we'll, uh, uh, We'll start by, uh, I'm just going to ask you sort of like, what what's the pandemic, the state of the pandemic uh, in the 618 in the area, in the downstate area? So much of the news is concentrated on the impact in the Chicago area and the suburbs around Chicago. Uh, we don't get a lot of reports about what's going on downstate. So talk a little bit about the uh, impact of the pandemic uh, in your neck of the woods.
0: Well, I mean, it's downstate, we clearly have had fewer identified cases. I just looked on the on my website today, the coronavirus website, and we have, like, in the Metro East, 509 cases. And that includes the two biggest counties, of Madison and St. Clair County, and the counties that border it. So we've had a lot, I mean, a lot fewer cases uh, that have been identified. And, I mean, we've also had a lot fewer deaths, obviously. But we also are sitting right next to St. Louis and if you look at Missouri statistics, I looked at those, too, today. Missouri statistics, Missouri, St. Louis, and St. Louis City, and uh, probably St. Charles, are the largest collection of, of cases they've identified in Missouri. So right across from the river from us is St. Louis total. They said today, I mean, when I looked on the website, 2,026 plus the near St. Charles. So they've got about 2,600 across the river. And I mean, we really are basically
1: a lot of times a bedroom community of St. Louis. Mm-hmm. So is there sort of the same mindset in, uh, in your area as there is in, in, in Chicago, Chicago area? People in Chicago uh, are very scared uh, and they're doing a pretty good job, in my humble opinion, of abiding by the mayor and the governor's uh, commands for social distancing uh, I see this all the time when I go for a walk down the street, Pamela. People, they really, like, they'll, they'll cross the street to avoid being within six feet. Uh, they'll walk down the middle of the street to avoid being within six feet of somebody. This isn't just walking down the street. When you go to grocery stores, they wearing masks. What's sort of the attitude of uh, people uh, in your area? Well, I think it
0: really, you know, I think realistic. well, first of all, the hospital's well adjusted everything. I mean, we're getting our temperature taken when we go in the hospital. Some of the hospitals were required to wear masks but in the hospitals, even though we have not had really any admissions for it. In most of my rural hospitals, we haven't had any admissions from coronavirus, but we're all being careful. Now, as far as the community, I mean, you know, the, all of the stores have adapted. I mean, in the grocery stores, you're only allowed one person with one cart in. And I think in the more metro-type areas, you see a lot more mask wearing. Now, you go to the ones that are sort of neighboring around St. Clair and Madison, you don't always see people wearing masks, you know, which is sort of troublesome. But I, mean, I think people, you know, believe it. And I think that you see a lot of, um, well, there's clearly a lot less traffic. I mean, you look at the lots by the, where the Metro or where they could get the buses to go into work. Well, I mean, there's like one or two car parks where there used to be, it used to be full. So I think people are, you know, are. Trying to follow it, I'm not sure about the mask of mass yet, and I just think sometimes that you know i mean with with only five hundred and nine cases, it's hard and that depending on sort of what news service they listen to, sometimes it you know they believe it more because they listen to the truth uh, the ones that really give out the good media versus the ones that sort of distort the truth.
1: Well, let's uh, talk about that for a little bit. Uh, in Michigan yesterday, I don't know if you saw this, there were protests, uh-huh. Operation Gridlock, and uh, uh, various, uh, over a thousand people descended on Lansing and the state capital of Michigan uh, to protest the, the shutdown. They wanted to open up the economy. Um, it was clearly... Uh, It was clearly an event that was, if not staged by, uh, encouraged by the conservative parties in Michigan, Republican parties in Michigan, very pro-Trump protest. Are you seeing anything like that uh, in the Alton area, in the 618 area?
0: No, I haven't seen any protests like that. I mean, that was just incredible. I mean, that they would actually go with their guns. I guess they were going to shoot the virus or they were gonna? They they were defending their right to either be killed by the virus or to kill other people with the virus. I it just doesn't make any sense. Yeah. I mean, I the thing that that you know that disturbs me the most is don't they look at the doctors and the nurses on the TV, and don't they see how many people have died? I mean, you know I I mean I I've been around you know doctors and nurses for a long time, but those doctors and nurses who come on the TV. Telling about, you know, like New York City. I mean, that's not, a, it's no joke. I mean, it's really frightening. And people just, you know, I guess until sometimes until people get have um, their home, you know, they're not going to believe it. But I think in general, you know, I was, I, and I think people more and more need to get their masks on down here. And I mean, I, yesterday I went into a Dollar General and, which was outside of, it was in the neighboring county. And there were two people with masks on, myself and another old, another uh, senior. Mm-hmm. So that was it. Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, and I thought, eh,
0: you know, not good.
1: No, that is not good. But I, w- I will just say this uh, before I leave Operation uh, Gridlock uh, for the day. I've talked a lot about it today. Uh, they may have been pounding their chests about how they're un- not afraid of the virus, but the overwhelming majority of those protesters were in their cars okay just pointing that I mean, out Pamela.
0: Guy, he had masks on that one guy had mask on but he's done his research and he knows that it it's not dangerous but he had a mask
1: yeah on. that old boy had the mask <laughs> on that's interesting but the overwhelming majority were in their car well, we want went open the economy but not too much at the moment can, can i go to work <laughs> in my car you know so just throwing yeah. that out there uh they yeah, made- and
0: the point i wondered if how many of those people really, I mean, you know, that, I was wondering how many of those people really had jobs to go to too, but that was only my thing. All right. That's another
1: point. Now, how prepared in your mind uh, are the rural areas uh, to deal uh, with the uh, pandemic if it hits hard? You know what I'm saying? Like here in the city of Chicago, we ha- there's advantages and disadvantages from having so many people living in such a, a relatively uh, small confines. How prepared are you downstate to deal with this?
0: Well, I mean, in the Metro East area, I mean, we, we you know, the, we have um, several larger hospitals. And, um, I mean, we have one on the east side that's affiliated with Orange Jewish. We have an, another one that's part of the HSHS system out of Spursfield. So we do have bigger hospitals, and they have ventilators, and they actually have patients, you know, who who have the coronavirus. Now, in my smaller hospitals, we've all gotten ready for what would happen. We've, you know, we've met, assessed our ventilator. Thing. I mean, but basically, I mean, the thing about a critical access hospital is, is a critical access hospital is paid on a, um, on a different payload than the, the regular, regular hospitals. They're paid more like fee for service. And in addition, they're limited to the number of days they're supposed you're always supposed to admit somebody for four days or less is your critical access. You provide critical and then if you have to, you send them. So most of the hospitals now that I go to, if they got somebody who were sick enough, they would send them to either the bigger hospitals in Belleville, or they would send them across the river.
1: So are, are you, uh, you think you can deal with this if it um, uh, comes to a crisis stage?
0: Uh, well, I mean, I hope so. I mean, that I, I, you know, I just you know, I think that the biggest thing is getting them prepared, you know, getting them prepared for what we're going to do. And I mean, I think that we've tried to set up in the rural hospitals, Try, you know, we we're t- trying to set up ways to make sure we're, like I said, we're monitoring temperatures, we're asking people the right questions when they come to the hospital. Nobody can have any visitors effectively. I and then mean, it's the same thing with the nursing home. My daughter works in a nursing home. I mean, they're doing the same thing. So we're, we're, you know, we are doing the things in the hospital for facilities. And I think we are, would be prepared to identify, you know, we've tested people, but the majority of them have come back negative. I mean, tested. we actually had one of the hospitals had a family, kind of like a, a woman and her daughter worked at the hospital and then some other family member had it. So, I mean, but they were not, they, they didn't get sick. They were mainly asymptomatic or mildly symptomatic and they were just quarantined. So, so I think we're, you know, I think that we're, we're prepared as much as we can be prepared, but I mean, you never know how prepared you are until something hits you.
1: Uh, Pamela, you said something to me on the phone the other day when I was setting up this interview uh, that I really would love to you to explore a little bit. And you said, "I'm a pathologist, and I really think people should understand what viruses to do to lungs when you watch it under a microscope." What were you talking oh, about?
0: Viruses well, I mean, I've seen viral pneumonia under the microscope, and I've also seen what one of the things that can happen in, in, in um, COVID is that 19 is that you can also get adult respiratory distress syndrome, which and basically in, in viral infections, the viruses get into the cells. And I mean, they say that, that coronavirus, this corona, this um, unique coronavirus, gets into the goblet cells and the ciliated cells in the lung and gets in them gets into the cells, integrates this RNA, starts so reproducing and destroys the cells. And once it destroys the cells, it continues to multiply. Then it creates, you know, an inflammatory response with a lot of edema, destruction of cells, um, and then once if you get the adult respiratory distress them, and all your alveolar spaces which are like Balloon. I mean, the alveolar spaces are, if you blow up a balloon, the, the space on the inside with the air in it is your alveolar space. And the balloon wall would be sort of like the alveolar wall. Mm-hmm. And that alveolar wall is where the blood, the air goes from space, crosses into the blood vessel so that it circulates your oxygen in the blood. So what happens is you create a barrier So it can't get into the cells. It can't get into the bloodstream. So people can't oxygenate. So I mean, basically, when their lungs are all filling up with fluid, and air can't go anywhere. And I mean, it's really frightening. Viral pneumonia can cause a really—I mean, it's a a different reaction from what you see in bacterial pneumonia. But I mean, it's very—I mean, it's—but it's different. But it's awful. It's horrible.
1: I I wish for uh, maybe some of those Operation Gridlock protesters could uh, see what you're talking about. I don't know if that would deter them uh, from their uh, movement, but I wish they could see it for a second. Uh, Please, if you would, evaluate uh, how Donald Trump uh, is handling this crisis. Well, I mean, first of all, I mean, his handling of the crisis, well, you know, realistically,
0: I mean... We saw that we actually lived through all of his press conferences where he said it was going to be a One Chinese person came in, and then it was, we were going to have 15 people, and then it was going to be a miracle, and it was going to go away. And I mean, now we're down to the point that um, we still don't have enough testing. I mean, we, we may know the numerator. We know a numerator now, the numerator of how many people that we've tested who are positive, and we know how many people we've tested. But we don't know how many people are out in the community that have, have either had it or have it and aren't showing any symptoms. So we don't know how much of the virus is sticking around. I mean, he's can, now trying to restart the economy. And I mean, you know, a, that could be a disaster. Because without having protection, we don't know who could go, without having tested, we don't know who's really safe to go back to work. And I mean, I realize the whole the whole economy is is been blown up, but I you know I I don't think it's going to do any good if we send people to work and then they start dying. So okay. I just I think he's done a a bad job. Plus the other thing, he, he shouldn't be prescribing medication for people. I mean, first of all, he had uh, hydroxychloroquine with a Z pack, and then also you got to put zinc in it. I mean, realistically, you can't. I mean, you can't tell people about a medication that hasn't been shown in a study to actually work and could cause harm to people. I mean, you know, I, you know, maybe because we're doctors and we know we can't do that, but I don't think it's appropriate for the president to be telling people what medication they should try. No, so you, I think there are you, many reasons, many ways he's failed us.
1: When you watch his performances and <laughs> watch his press coverage and you see the doctors, there's usually two doctors at least, sometimes three standing behind him, are you cringing on their behalf?
0: Well, I think that, yeah, I mean, I think that I am, I mean, I feel bad that they have to, you know, I mean, I also feel bad that they have to backtrack. I mean, sometimes, you know, if they're, I mean, I, the problem is, is that in general, if you disagree with him, you you usually get, um, you're usually gone the next day. (laughs) So I mean realistically but so we need but we need to hand it to science We're not talking about mysticism. We're not talking about, you know, the fact that he tells you she used this medication because he has a good feeling about it. I mean, give me a break, that's not how we do science. You know, we that's not how we do medicine. Medicine is I mean I mean there there's a lot of there are a lot of things about medicine that sometimes we can't know everything in the whole body, but it's scientific. So I mean we can you know, I, I do feel sorry for the doctors, and I'm also worried about the fact that, you know, I, I can't just see. I mean, yesterday I read that the CDC was, you know, he's cut down on the funding for the CDC. And, I mean, the CDC is not considered, I mean, it's not as formidable as it used to be. Plus, I mean, now he's after the World Health Organization. So, I mean, I just don't think that, you know, that makes any sense. Yeah.
1: Well, he's clearly looking for villains that he could— Prop You're up. right mm-hmm. and uh, which I don't i I don't know why he's wasting his time. Look, well, I know why he's wasting his time. He's worried about getting re-election, re-elected. He's worried about the reelection, and uh, he should be because I think uh, I do not think personally, uh, Pamela, he will be elected. Uh, but now, since I've introduced politics, let's get to politics. The first time you came on the show, uh, you were t- explaining why you believed it was very important. Uh, for our country to have uh, Medicare for All. Uh, I presume you still feel that way, and maybe even more so, now Now that they we're in the middle of this pandemic, correct?
0: Oh, well, clearly, yes. I mean, since I heard on the news this morning, we had 22 million people filed for unemployment. And of those 22 million people, if they were employed, I mean, that we, you know, um, there was an article in the Annals of Internal Medicine where they estimated that at a point where Steffi Wolf-Handler and um, her husband estimated that, like, of those people, 15.6% would be losing their health insurance, which gives you, like, 3.6 million people would be without their health insurance. And that only includes the people now. Because the workers, it doesn't include their families. So what's happening is we're turning a lot of people who used to have employer health insurance Will have no health insurance I mean and then they um you know what are they going to do I mean they could theoretically if you lose your job you can get Cobra but at Cobra you have to pay the whole cost of what your employer was paying for your health insurance which if you don't have another job is almost impossible I mean if if you if everybody goes on Medicaid that's still not the answer because I mean as I said before I think that Medicaid helps I mean has done a lot but I still don't think it's equal to other, other forms of health insurance. So, I mean, I think that this is like a nightmare. And I think right now we should see the folly of employer health care. And Stephanie Willander's husband is David Handelstein. Mm-hmm. So on both of them, wrote the article, but I mean, it is the folly of employer health care because it shows that if you lose your job, you lose your insurance and you can't afford to get COBRA. And what are you going to do? I mean, you know, there, there aren't any jobs out there. It's not a good recruitment market, so you're not going to let to get another job. So it's just, you know, you're going to be without health insurance. I mean, now at a time when you need it the most, maybe. Uh,
1: by the way, I think the illogic of the old system is, is coming apparent. Um, I don't know if it's at the point where all opposition to Medicare for All will collapse, Pamela, but... Uh, even Republicans are signing on to the notion that if you're unemployed and you have no uh, health insurance because you have no job, then you should. The government will pick up the cost. Of, let's say of getting a test uh, for COVID nineteen, and then like, that leads to the obvious question: Well, why would you just make an exception for this particular illness? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, why? Not? I
0: agree. Yeah, I mean, but I mean, can you imagine though the cost of a- I mean, the cost of the treatment for help, I mean, because when people go in the hospital now, they don't go in and they're on the ventilator for a few days. They're on the ventilator for weeks. I can't even imagine what the bills would be. Mm-hmm. I mean, and what's going to happen? I mean, to these some of these people, you know, will have lost their jobs. And I mean, I will. And I know that. I, I mean, I, we've heard various things about how they're going to also cover your COVID payment for your, you know, for your hospitalization you know, we'd need to go to single payer. I mean, if somebody suggested that, well, right now what we do is everybody who loses their job should immediately be enrolled in the Medicare for all. And maybe that would be a good start because actually you get people more than just like 60-year-olds or you get people all across the whole whole um, you know uh, spectrum of ages because not everybody who's losing their job is over 60. But I mean, now is the time people should realize then employer health insurance doesn't, you know, it doesn't guarantee anything. Already, we know that 60 million people every year change jobs, which means they're giving up the insurance they have. They're either getting new insurance or they're not getting new insurance in the new job or they're not getting a new job. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that just it just doesn't make any sense to tie it to employment.
1: Uh, you were a big supporter of Bernie Sanders, and the last time we were on the show, we talked about that. Since then, obviously, Bernie dropped out of the race. And he has endorsed Joe Biden. What do you, as a big believer in Medicare for all, as a, for, as a supporter of Bernie Sanders, what do you want to hear from Joe Biden right now?
0: Well, I want to hear that. We, I want to hear that when we have a convention, assuming we actually have a convention, that we get something on the Democratic platform that says we we support a Medicare for all program. I mean, that we support improved Medicare for all. I mean, I think, you know, that, that, I mean, I just can't, every day it goes by. And I would like to hear, I mean, Joe Biden now said that when he would extend it to people 60 or over. But see, once again, that doesn't do anything because you're still leaving a large number of people without Medicare for all. Plus, you're picking up, I mean, right now, if he had a Medicare, Medicare now takes 65 and above. That can cover the twenty percent of the people who consume eighty percent of the health costs. But sixty is not gonna really decrease. You're still gonna have a group that's gonna consume probably more health costs than anybody, you know, health cost the people who are under forty or under under thirty. So I mean, it just doesn't make any sense. Plus if you if you decrease it that way, like like Joe Biden has now said he would do, where he's wavering, you're still not gonna get rid of all the issues about administrative costs, how much it costs doctors to do different insurance billing. I mean, it's just just going to still have the administrative costs for the majority of the people. So I I think we would like Joe Biden to realize, to understand what Medicare for all is and realize that every other country in the world, an industrialized country in the world, has figured out that we need to guarantee healthcare for everybody.
1: Yeah, I think this is me speaking. Get your thoughts on this one, Pamela. Joe Biden's opposition to Medicare for all. I'm not quite certain what it's rooted in exactly. I bring on many different guests from all different political persuasions and they uh, analyze it and they uh, pontificate about it. They think about it. And, uh, you know, all of us are just guessing because we're not in Joe Biden's brain. Uh, But. To a large degree, I believe he positioned himself this way to distinguish himself from Bernie and to win over the centrist vote in the Democratic Party and best sort of like align himself uh, as the most logical centrist uh, opponent to Donald Trump. That was the strategy. And now he's kind of stuck. (laughs) He's stuck with this opposition to Medicare for All in the middle of this medical crisis. And he's looking for like a face-saving way to get out of it do you follow me Pamela so like that like saying oh I'll go to 60 well that's ludicrous what if you're 58 you still need health insurance you know what I'm saying why draw the line at 60 again it's it's like saying I'll pay for uh COVID-19 related uh, expenses but I'm not going to pay for the cancer you get what I'm saying it just it makes no sense oh I mean
0: I, I I don't you know I just I I don't know whether and I don't know I just you know, you think maybe that Biden, because he's been around a long time, would have, you know, over the years, made more efforts to try to get, you know, health insurance for all of us. But somehow he's sort of stuck in the in the neoliberal thing where you have to, you know, you don't want to get rid of a whole industry, or you. Know, and I mean, I don't, I don't know, you know, I mean, I don't know with lobbyists how much people, you know have supported his campaign. Or as prior campaigns, but I mean, I think realistically, if he wants to look at what the American people need and what we need for the health of this country, and also, and then the other thing is that he also needs to look at the younger people because many of the more, many younger people are much more improved with Medicare for all. Mm-hmm. And I think he's going to have to do something to, to, you know, to prove to the progressive wing of the party that you know,
1: that he's a player that he's, you know, that he will embrace some of it. Yeah. My guess is he's going to be moving further and further left uh, on this matter uh, as the campaign season unfolds, because I think the, I do believe the country is actually ready at this moment. uh, Like I say, the inconsistencies of the arguments against it are so obvious uh, that I think this country is ready for it. I think so too.
0: I mean, you know, the other thing is that, you know, what's going to happen? People are predicting that with this, with COVID, what's going to happen next year to your employer's based insurance for our premiums, and then people are saying they're going to go up 40%. Well, if they go up 40%, I mean, I'm a small business owner. I I already pay right now $5,400 a month for my employer's health insurance, and I pay, I mean, I I do I, I pay all their premiums because I think it's the right thing to do, and like I said, I try to get them as little a copay, you know, as little a deductible as possible that makes sense, you know. So right now it's at thousand dollars. I mean, I'd like to get it, and I mean, I used to have a five hundred dollar, so I used to have a five hundred dollar deductible, but I couldn't get that this year. So, I just think that if it goes 40 percent. I mean, that's, and see, all that 40% is is everybody's salary. Mm-hmm. I mean, realistically, what an employer puts in for your health insurance really should count as part of salary. And I mean, if you have to get 40% for health insurance, I mean, you're never going to get a raise. And people are already going to be losing a lot of money because of this, this, this outbreak.
1: All right, Joe Biden, listen to Dr. Pamela and let's get uh, Medicare for All right now. If you really want to win over Bernie supporters, uh, that's what you have to do. Uh, Pamela, we're going to close down the interview, but I'm just going to go completely off the course of what we've been talking about. This is something that Dennis and I have... Uh, a bit of a debate we've had for a long time. It has nothing to do with healthcare, nothing to do with pandemics, nothing to do with politics. And uh, you're our first 618 guest, area code 618 mm-hmm. guest. So we're going to throw this at you. And if you if you have no answer, feel free to answer. Say, Ben, I have no idea. But here we go. So this is a debate that Dennis, and Dennis, of course, grew up in Alton. And I'm from mm-hmm. the Chicago area. And uh, at one point, Dennis and I were driving in a car. And I think a Bruce Springsteen song came on the radio. And uh, I was like, oh, I love this song. And Dennis said, well, that's because you're from Chicago. And he said that in the 618 area around uh, St. Louis, uh, Jimmy Buffett is far more popular than Bruce Springsteen. And I said, no way. I've never even been to Alton, Illinois, and I can tell you right now that Bruce Springsteen is more popular than Jimmy Buffett. I am. Hey. We're right by that river. We <laughs> treat it like the ocean. So, do you have an opinion about this, one way or the other, uh, Pamela? Well, I am to just
0: I'm to a total Beatles fan. <laughs> <laughs> so we're not into Jimmy Buffett, and we're not in. And my ex, my husband, is not a Bruce Springsteen fan, but he is a Beatles fan. Ah. And I mean, I guess since I'm a Beatles fan, because you know I've either known my husband been married to to for since you know since like I've known him since fifth grade and we dated since high school. So all right. I mean, so I'm a Beatles fan too. So all right, let me. And ex- I mean, I'm not you know. Yeah. Jimmy Buffett and I, I like to listen to them both, but I like Beatles melodies enough.
1: Let me let me just say something about Pamela. This is a diplomat. Mm-hmm. This is a diplomat. So the question was, are you, do you agree with Dennis or Ben? And look how skillful she was. You should run for president, Pamela. She goes, that was brilliant. What a duck and a dodge. Well, uh, actually, I like um, you the know, Beatles. You know, ben,
0: you have to tell you that, you know, I can't, you know, do you really think this country is yet ready for a woman president?
1: Well, yes. I mean, you
0: know, Bernie got, Bernie got nailed for saying that, but realistically, Yeah, I'm not sure. After seeing the people with with their guns yesterday, I'm not sure.
1: Well, I have to tell you, we're going to have a woman a vice presidential candidate. Joe Biden has promised that he's going to name a woman. Clearly, and uh, so (laughs) yes, and Joe Biden, you know, he'll be 78 years old. I I don't know how old he'll be. Actually, I'm thinking. Well,
0: and there you're right. And you're right. There could be a world president because the vice president could succeed to become the president. I mean, it's. You know, he could. I mean, he's probably not going to run for two
1: terms. Um, no, he won't. By so, the way, I, mean, I have to ask you uh, before I let you go. Final, uh <laughs> f- Do you have a favorite candidate that you would like to, uh, Joe Biden to pick for vice president?
0: Do I have a favorite candidate? Well, I mean, I've always my husband. Oh, I shouldn't keep talking. I think he would be influencing me, but I agree with him that probably that I would uh, probably pick Kamala Harris.
1: We get you're the second Kamala cookie. Harris vote we had today. A lot of a lot of votes for I was She's to a be.
0: tough cookie, I mean. yeah, She's a tough cookie, I mean, and she's been around for a long. And I mean, realistically, the first she got, before she got confused, before she sort of changed a little bit about Medicare for All, she's from California, which is really a big Medicare for All state. So
1: Pamela, will we I here. think
0: that's why she's my choice.
1: Biggest mistake Kamala Harris made, and I followed, obsessively followed this presidential primary from the get-go, was when she ducked and dodged on Medicare for All. Because That first debate, they said, who's for Medicare for All? She raised her hand. And then all, someone got to her, and all of a sudden she started saying, well, I, I didn't hear the question correctly, and I didn't mean to raise my hand. And I thought she lost a little credibility there. But uh, all that is ancient history. And it's, um, I think she'd be a very effective uh, running mate. Yeah, I was drinking the combo Kool Aid for a while. All right, Pamela, thank you. Thank you, you so, keep, thank take you care, so much. Take thank care.
0: Thank you for having me on. Yeah, bye bye. Bye. Bye, Dennis.
1: All right. Bye. That, that's our favorite doctor from the 618. Our first 618 guest, and that happened to be the one person that likes Bruce Springsteen downstate. <laughs> Interesting. Uh, well, you know what? She really was brilliant. She was brilliant at avoiding really getting in the middle of that debate. All right. It's been a bit of blast talking to Dr. Pamela. Take care, everybody.
0: Jimmy Buffett.